doing an apologetics conference. Some of you may recall Ray and Richard from last year, and Ian got together a conference over at the River Church, and Ray and Richard shared. So that is where he is now. Actually, Ravi Zacharias, he is the keynote speaker, so I think that'll be pretty amazing to listen to Ravi. Anyway, I'd just like to say welcome again. It's great to see so many people here and to share with you this morning. My aim this morning is to inspire you, and I've entitled my message quite simply a one word, hope. Your notes that you have in your hand are not like ends this morning. They are very brief. But if you feel you need more verses, come and see me later. I can give you some, okay? But you can just write out what you feel as you feel the Lord speak into your heart. And that is my prayer, that the Lord will speak to each of your hearts and fill it with something called hope. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for every person here And may your word that's so rich in knowledge and instruction, may it give us hope. May your Holy Spirit fill our hearts. Amen. I'd like to just read you the first scripture on our outline, and I'll ask Ezekiel to put up this slide. And it says this, For everything that is written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Did you notice those two words? Not just the encouragement, but the endurance. You know what you need to be a Christian? (laughs) Not just encouragement, but it's endurance. You need that ability to keep on going and going and going. A bit like these people who run these marathon races, right? They have endurance. So may we not only walk away out of here with hope, but endurance to run our race. A little bit further down, it also says, which is not actually on your slide, but we'll just go back to the first one. Thanks, Ezekiel. It says, well, where do we get hope? Well, I would like to propose to you this morning, we get it from the scriptures, God's word to us, known as the Bible. And here's another verse that tells us what where and what hope comes from. It says all scripture is profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuking, and for training in righteousness so that every man may be equipped for every good work. Okay. I'm just going to turn over a few pages here because actually um, I realized I was preaching from the wrong page, to be totally honest. (laughs) It's nice that I can be honest up here, just a second. That's quite amazing that when I preached my last message, I used that same verse as well. So anyway, our, our question is, so where is hope and where can we find hope? You know, there are many sources of hope, aren't there? You have hope because you have a family. You might find hope in inspirational speakers like Ian will be listening to Ravi Zacharias. You might find hope in a TED Talk. Anybody listen to the TED Talks? They can be pretty cool, can't they? And there's some great speakers around. Anybody heard of Jordan Peterson? He's a Canadian clinical psychologist. You want to get online? He's not a Christian, but he's highly respectful of the Bible. He's a great person to listen to. You know, we can get hope from going to see the doctor. We can get hope from your mother. 
There's many places, and quite rightly so, that we can receive hope. What is your hope? What are the things that you're hoping for? May I suggest a few things? Hope in having friends. Amen. You want friends, right? (laughs) People to love you. That's a hope, isn't it? Maybe getting married one day. A family, a great job, a home, maybe a home of your own. There might be young people here and you're hoping to save up and have a home of your own. Maybe to do well, to do well at his hobby or a skill. I know my son Stephen has a hope that he's, well he did have at some stage, he wanted to be a Commonwealth weightlifter. Okay, but that was his hope. So we all have these hopes, you know, and hope's so important. Our medical professionals realise that we need hope to cope. You know, I see people every day as my role as a nurse that come in with health issues and what they need behind it is just hope. Hope that things are going to get better, hope that things are not going to stay the same as they are. You know, for me, as a young person, you may ask, Kimberly, well, what was your hope? Well, (laughs) I wanted to get married, I'll be honest. I wanted to get married, I wanted to have children. I had four bit overdone but anyway I had four kids (laughs) and I had hopes of sharing my life and serving the Lord a hope of our own home which was something that was realized and also one day I had of hope gosh maybe I do want to go back to nursing after my kids have grown up but do you know what the reality is (laughs) sometimes hope doesn't always work out the way that we thought right just this week, we've seen people's hopes crushed in the Hurricane Michael out at Florida. Have you seen the pictures? They're devastating. You know, there's people there that maybe have built their homes, their families are brought up there, and the place looks like a war zone. It's a disaster, isn't it? Their houses are devastated. I saw one woman on CNN, and she was standing outside there, you know, weeping. This was everything to me. My home was everything, and my heart really went out to her. But may I suggest there's something greater than the hope, and sometimes we can misplace our hope. So probably now, if any of you have lived a little while, and I've lived a little bit longer than some of you sitting down here, (laughs) that you've come across situations that can annihilate hope, that can crush hope, that can confuse hope. What is going on? You know, you, you can be disappointed by circumstances, disappointed by people, maybe a bankruptcy, a, fin- a financial crisis, a relationship, a betrayal by a friend, a business failure, abuse by somebody, maybe the death of a family or an unwell child. You know, the list is endless, but our hope can get diminished, but like a candle. There can be that little flame and the hope gets blown out. But what I want to share this morning is a hope that I found, and I know many of you have found it too, but may I fan it into a searing flame because that's what we need in this world is hope. May I suggest another hope? The 66 books of God's holy word. There's a song about that. And if I know Daniel and his brother Simon went to camp this week. They used to sing that song, 66 books and God's holy word. May I suggest that these documents, these ancient documents, and the Bible is an old book. 
We need to learn how to understand, but within its pages, it is contained hope. You know, we know the scriptures, as Ian's been sharing, are verifiable, they are accurate. The Dead Sea Scrolls confirm the Old Testament. So what are the scriptures actually offering? How do we find hope within those pages? So before we go to that, I just wanted to share a few slides just to recap what Ian's been sharing about the principles of reading God's word. Because you know, God's word's ancient. And you may think, Kimberly, why on earth do you have a picture of a man with a bullock and a cart? (laughs) This picture I took in Zanzibar, it was so cool. I was driving along the road and leaned out the window. And this just reminds me of, we, we have a Bible that is ancient. It was written over 1,600 years by 40 authors And do you think we may need a little help interpreting it? (laughs) I'd say so, because some of the culture was there, and we need to figure out, Lord, what are you saying to my heart now? So I've learned from reading commentaries by Wilred and Zuck and, and reading books by Professor Fee and Gordon Stewart, who are talented professors and very knowledgeable, I'd just like to share with you a few little hints and tips that can set you in the right direction, because actually, the Bible can be the most abused book, can't it? You know, we hear people say outlandish things about it. They preach like, where did you get that from? Have you even read it? So may I just offer you some things that I've learned and I've appreciated learning from professors and theologians that are even much more experienced than I am. Just this little text that's written here. What can happen if we read it the wrong way? It will cause us to read all sorts of foreign ideas into it that were never intended. And I have a very good example from my life. I'll share with you, and possibly you've heard it before. When I was going out with Ian from about the age of 17 to 19, we were going out for a few years. He was a great boyfriend and things were going great, but something happened and he broke up with me. How dare he? Anyway, he did. (laughs) He broke up with me. I was devastated. I was shattered. I was broken. And I can remember he gave me a ring, and I took this ring down to Eastern Beach. Some of you may know Eastern Beach. And I thought, well, Lord, he's broken up with me. I'm devastated. I don't know if we're ever going to get back together again, but I'm going to give my my the man that I thought and felt I loved to you. So I took this ring he gave me and threw it into the ocean. He's gone, okay? Done and dusted. That man is gone. Anyway, no, actually he wasn't gone. He was so very much in my heart. And I was, to be honest, broken. So I went back home, opened my Bible, and I was desperately flicking through all of the pages. There's got to be some word here. There's got to be some word here. There needs to be something to encourage me. Well, there was. And be sure, if you want something, you will find it. I went to the pages of Isaiah And there it said, from the abundance of the sea, your blah, blah, blah will be returned to you. Your heart will thrill and rejoice. And of course, I interpret this, the abundance of the sea, Ian was going to come back. But can you see how I got a bit mixed up, (laughs) a little bit twisted? I took something written for the children of Israel, read it back into my life. Wow, that's not what the scriptures are for, according to Walrid and Zuck. So just be careful that when you're looking at it, you don't read things into it that aren't really there. Next slide. 
or else you can fall into this mistake. And Ezekiel, if you go to the next one, as I said, the text can mean something that it wasn't ever meant to actually mean. I've got those van pictures, another picture I took in Zanzibar. You know, you have to interpret what was way back here and bring it all the way into the 21st century. So we need to be careful that we don't read into it or make it mean something that it never did. It can only mean what the writer intended for the hearers. You know, when I tell you a story, you're understanding what I'm telling you. If somebody repeated the story 200 years later, they'd have to be careful they got it right because you know what I'm saying. It's clear. So we need to be careful when we read the scriptures that we read it accurately. I made another mistake with this too. (laughs) I'll be confessing my errors to you when I've been reading the Bible. But I have a brother, and he's the youngest in our family. And unfortunately, he got very sick when he was about 20. And we were told by doctors he had had only a few years to live. His illness was so serious. Actually, he was diagnosed with HIV. So in our family, we were devastated. My sister and my mother thought, he's only young. But as a Christian, I thought, no, my brother's going to be healed. He's going to be well. He's going to be fine. So again, in my, in my days of learning about the Lord and growing as a Christian, and I think this takes time to really understand how to read God's word, I went to verses that I didn't really know a lot about. And it was in the book of Lamentations. And my heart was right. I was wanting my brother to be well, which possibly all of you would too if it was your brother, right? You would think, Lord, surely he's got to be healed. And I went in and reading some scriptures and it was talking about how your wound is incurable, but you will recover and you will be well. It said something like this. Well, again, that was never meant for my brother. That was meant for the nation of Israel as the prophet was rebuking the Israelites for their disobedience. Sadly to say, my brother did die, but luckily enough, I had enough faith in the Lord to still trust him in that tragedy in those circumstances. So that's why I share, along with the recommendations of professors and theologians, and Ian's always told us, be careful how you interpret the word of God. And you won't find the person's name you're going to marry in the Bible. You won't find the job title. There's things you won't find, but you know what, my golly, there's a lot you will find. You know, you'll find principles and you'll find correction. You'll find guidance and you'll find hope. You'll find things that are useful and profitable. You know, you think you want to run a profitable business. The Bible has so many profitable things to say to us. And just finally, before I go on to what I'm going to share, you know, the narratives are not about you. Actually, the narratives of the Bible is God's story to us, right from creation all the way through. It's about God's love. It's about the nation that he tried to build. It's about his plan, that the coming of Jesus Christ that the boys sang about this morning as they were leading worship. So let's move on. And let's find hope. So what was the claims? And we'll move on to the next slide. Oh, 
what were the claims? Yeah, we can go to the last one. That's fine. So what are the claims of hope? You know, the apostles, Timothy, Peter and Paul, I call them the Hopies of the New Testament church. You know, they had trials and troubles and they had this amazing message to share, but they were hopeful. These men will not defeat it, down, depressed and despairing. They were hopeful. So what the hang were they hopeful about? Well, two things, and there is much more than this, but Paul was crazy on the resurrection of the dead. We will rise again. Our God, we will live and have eternal life. And when you think about it, that's an astounding concept. You know, the thing that kept me going was the hope that I will see my brother again. That's not a small piece of cheese to say that there's a resurrection of the dead. And some and in many religions, and this is concepts, but our concept is greater. It's in Jesus Christ. And there's this other concept, the whole theme of the Bible, and even more so in the New Testament, is the theme of repentance. Well, that's a crazy word now. Who wants to repent and say they're sorry? No, these are beautiful themes, repentance and forgiveness, which I'll explain a little bit more. So my Christian walk has been a journey of figuring out what does this repentance really mean in my life? What does this forgiveness mean in my life? What does it mean to live for the Lord with the hope of the resurrection and eternal life? A very strange belief in some eyes. I mean, I have two children that are Christians and two beautiful sons that are still trying to figure it out. And some of them think it's nonsense. But may I suggest, no, this gospel message, it's not nonsense. It's hope. It's relevance. It puts... It puts our lives, it transforms community, it's transformed many of your lives, and I know that you could stand up here and give testimony to what the Lord has done in your life as well. So the message of hope was communicated a lot, actually, by the Apostle Paul, who completely did a U-turn. He was a man who was a talented, intelligent educated man in in Judaism. He knew the law, he knew his stuff, but he persecuted people. He, He wrote, I'm the worst of all, I was a murderer. He went out his way to destroy the lives of families who believed as Christians. But you know, the Lord gets a hold of this man And on the road to um, to Damascus, he sees the angel, he sees a light, and he's converted. It's done. He believes in this God and this man, Jesus, that he was persecuting. You know, I will tell you if I ever see an angel, (laughs) but I've never seen an angel. But you know what? As much as Paul has been changed, I know the Lord Jesus has changed my life. This message of repentance and forgiveness and resurrection has changed so many aspects of who I am. So with that, let's go on. And on your outline, I'm going to be sharing from the chapter of First Ephesians. And I'll just read you a few verses here. This is what the Apostle Paul's writing. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints at Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, and you are all the faithful here 
with me this morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God the Father. You know what? I'm so glad God's just not a God. He's a Father. You know, who's got a good dad? Who has a good father? Some of us are blinking lucky to have them, aren't we? You know, I have a good dad that he honoured me, he loved me, he sheltered me. He was a wonderful man, so for me, I guess it's, it is simpler for me to acknowledge God as father. But those of you at heaven, you know, God is a good father. The Father of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessings. And this is the focal point of what I want to share. God blesses us with spiritual blessings. In the Old Testament, what were the blessings he gave the Israelites? Land and wealth and prosperity and health. They were to be a nation holy and blameless to him. But In the New Testament, he offers us spiritual blessings. So what are these blessings that give us hope? May I suggest that one of the greatest blessings, and I've alluded to it before, is the blessing of eternal life. You know, when you know you're going to live forever, well, that just changes things, doesn't it? It changes how we view ourselves now. It gives us hope for a future, which I really at times cannot get my head around, but I'm grateful for that promise of eternal life. And then the next blessing we read in the book of Ephesians is the spiritual blessing of forgiveness. And you say, well, Kimberly, why is that a spiritual blessing? May I just give a brief example? I have a son-in-law who runs an organization called the Tutapona, and they offer and provide trauma counseling to refugees And the concept of forgiveness is infiltrated throughout what they share. You know, you can have forgiveness on the platform of, well, it doesn't do you any good to hold anything against anybody else, right? It'll be like poison. It'll be like the snake of a serpent, they will tell you. But this morning, the forgiveness that's offered because of the justification and the death of Jesus is so much more It allows us to be free. There was a concept that Josh was talking about of being free. You know, people feel unforgiven. They can't offer forgiveness to one another. But the Christian platform is quite remarkable. I can offer you forgiveness because Jesus paid for your sin. Those destructive things that you have done, he's paid for it. Sin's not forgotten in the Christian culture. It's not just pushed under the carpet. It's, it's paid for. It's done, it's dusted. So if you've hurt me, and I know with Ian and I, we have desperately at times, to be quite truthful, we've hurt each other, we've wounded each other. But when those wounds mount and they get, they get to you, the platform of forgiveness in Jesus That sin's paid for. That sin is not forgotten. It's justice. You know, when somebody in our community commits a crime, what do we want? You want justice, right? (laughs) You don't want it to be forgotten. You want penalty. You want punishment. And that's part of our Lord's nature. As he sent his son, who he sent his son to pay the um, penalty on behalf of us. And that involves grace. My goodness, such grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now 
I can forgive those that hurt me and you can forgive those that hurt you. Josh also talked about binding up wounds, you know, to forgive and be forgiven is to be allowed the privilege of emotional healing. I have people coming into my medical centre that are so guilty over what they've done, they'd like to end their lives. Well, don't, don't, don't. The concept of Christian faith is that there's no guilt. You don't have to walk out of here feeling guilty at all. So the next blessing, the spiritual blessing of a transformed mind. Well, that's a lot of hope in itself, really. I don't need to be boxed in with my behaviours, the things that are in my minds, my attitude and my worldview. There's something a whole lot bigger. I can be transformed and renewed by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when I broaden out that picture, the hope that I can, I'm getting older, there's some of you in here that are getting older, but God renews me from the inside. I have a hope that, yep, this outer wood is dying, but the inside is getting more and more. And who's it being like? Jesus Christ. And the more each of us resemble the Lord, the better we're going to be to get along with, right? You want hope in your family? You want it to look like a nice place? Then allow the word of God to transform your mind and heart. In a broader sense, it also helps me in the situations of life. Recently, some of you may know, we had another granddaughter born, and she was born with a very serious brain injury, hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, which just basically means her brain was starved of oxygen. My little granddaughter is 19 months now, and she can only has the developmental stage of a six-week-old. She cannot do anything. She's tube-fed, and she cannot lift her head. She cannot roll over. She cannot sit. <clears throat> but she can smile. And when I read her stories, she smiles. But without the transformed mind and looking at the situation the way the Lord would in his worldview... I'd be thinking, what's the point? Well, I mean, what is the point of a life that cannot do much at all? When our world, what do we value? We value intelligence. We value beauty. We value what we can do. You know what? God chose a bunch, Jesus showed a bunch of fishermen who didn't have a lot. You know, his worldview is so different. He doesn't glorify what we do. In fact, the ways, of the, the ways of the worldview is competition, capitalism. I can do more than you. We compare. So the fact that I have a father in heaven whose worldview is different to mine helps me as I transform my mind to be renewed. It takes work. I must admit, every Thursday I look after my granddaughter. I can still come back. What? But then I talk to myself, I talk to my mind, and I think, no, the Lord sees my granddaughter differently. He has a purpose for her life and a hope for her life. Lastly, I just want to share in the chapter of Ephesians, the spiritual blessing of I'm adopted as his son. I'm adopted. My daughter, Helen, I... I think I'm an unusual grandmother. I have two adopted grandchildren from Africa. My daughter's just adopted a little boy called Maz. They got him at six months old. 
And they did the work. When you're adopted, the parents that are adopting you have to fill in the papers. They've got to be assessed by social workers. My daughter just filled out 100 pages of documentation. She did the work. And the beauty and the concepts of of the biblical narrative is that God predestines us chooses us to one day rescue the whole lot of us and blink and well adopt us. Well, that's pretty cool because to be adopted into God's family gives me a lot of hope. It shows me I don't serve an angry God. Some people think God's angry at them. No, he forgives me. I don't need to hold on to the wrong things I've done. I can be assured Price paid, penalty paid, justice done. I am forgiven. I don't need to beat myself up and be depressed and despairing because I'm adopted. I'm his child. I recently listened to the most vibrant speech of a lady called Gianna Jessie who had been through a whole lot in her life. And you know what the thing that kept her going? I'm God's girl. She would tell you that I'm God's girl. This has given me hope and courage and a positive attitude. Also, in a wider, broader picture, to be adopted as his child has helped me in times of my life. And I know many of you, I know some of your stories here. You know, I went through a few health crises in my life, multiple times, that actually made me feel very humbled, shamed, stigmatized and I and if it wasn't for the fact that I'm his girl I'm his child I'm adopted then I think I would have been stuck I don't think I would have got out of those circumstances so being adopted having the spiritual blessing of being adopted the spiritual blessing of a transformed mind, the spiritual blessing of eternal life, the spiritual blessing of forgiveness is life-changing. May I just finish and just read a few more verses that just clarify, encapsulate what I've just shared. They're from the book of Ephesians. If you want to go home and read the rest of that chapter, all of the things that I've shared are in there. This is what it said. For he, that's God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. God holds nothing against you. He holds nothing against me. In love, this was his plan. It was a plan of love and a plan of grace. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus. Don't forget the Jesus bit because many other worldviews, atheism, secularism, pantheism, don't believe in Jesus. He's the core of our faith. In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood. It's costly, our freedom. It's costly that we were bought with a price, and so we should. Sin needs to be paid for, justice done, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So what do we have? We have spiritual blessings of eternal life, spiritual blessings of forgiveness. I'm free. I can forgive you and you can forgive me. 
spiritual blessings of a transformed mind. That's awesome. Spiritual blessings have been adopted into God's family. So I'll just get Ben and the team to come up. And let us, let us pray and reflect and, and be appreciative of this great gospel that we have. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that every person sitting here can be transformed in their mind. Lord, we can learn and we can grow. Father, I pray that as Harry read out in those verses, that you will enlighten our minds and our hearts to understand everything, the depth and the breadth of your great love and what this means for us as a church. What is our response to such great love, to such great forgiveness, to the transforming power of your spirit? Father, I pray indeed that you will sustain each one of us in our faith and our commitment and our journey of knowing you. In Jesus' name, I commit each one of these people here to you. Father, that as they go about their daily lives, they go into work, they be with their families, that the essence and the substance and the love of Christ Jesus, the Saviour, the Son of God, would be with them. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.